AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years, and not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's dot Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, kids' playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe Ventilation System exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe Ventilation System. You can get it installed, or DIY kits are available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com and receive 20% off today. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there, and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says they might be better off, I think, the way it seems to me, making up their own shows, which might be better than TV. I'm Jonathan Strickland. And I'm Joe McCormick. And our other regular host, Lauren Vogelbaum, is not with us today because she is off. What's she doing? I think she is walking on the surface of Jupiter's moon Europa today. Yeah, uh, she is unavailable, but she did submit some information that we will be covering in today's episode. Uh, It's really too bad that she's all the way out in Europa because there's no Wi-Fi there. And if she she had Wi-Fi, she could live cast into 
this podcast. Oh, yeah. Par- and then we'd still have her here. She could, like, periscope from up there, except I guess there would probably be a very long delay. A significant delay, yes. So uh, maybe more than 20 minutes. I don't know how long it'd be, exactly it would be. It'd be pretty long. And so you wouldn't get your comments answered. It, it would be a pretty crappy live stream, let's it, be frank. She would be constantly interrupting us <laughs> with with things that are 20 minutes out of uh, out of alignment with the rest of the show. So we're going to talk today about live casting or live streaming because it's one of those things that has become increasingly more popular uh I'd say really over the last year in particular as it's as it's taken over mobile platforms. Yeah, and you might be able to debate why exactly it has become so popular. Like is this an organic popularity that comes out of people's desire to see live things happening over the internet or is it a sort of a top-down popularity because it's being promoted by the platforms on which it happens? And it may very well be a combination of the two. You'll just have to listen to hear what we think. But I guess we need to define what this is. And really, it's all in the name. It's broadcasting, right? Live casting or live streaming. Either way, it's about using some service or app or whatever uh, in order to stream live video and audio from a device up to the Internet and then down to an audience's uh, mm-hmm group of devices, whatever they may be. Yeah, and there are actually a lot of tools out there to do this today. Now, we actually have talked about this on the podcast before, but this is one area where I feel like there has been significant growth since the last time we talked about it. Yeah, the the episode we did was back in May of 2013, uh, My So-Called Life Casting. Who came up with that title? Always a good question. Uh, it's an excellent... Well, it's, since it's three years ago, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, <laughs> it's possible it was me, but I don't know. I definitely was aware of My So-Called Life and watched all of it. And why well, did she go with him? I mean, she didn't have to... Or never mind. I'm just going to... It's the perennial question. People yeah. have been asking since Little Women. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> exactly. Before before MTV. Okay, but anyway, so we talked about some things. We talked about Google Glass, and apparently we talked about the word vlog, too much tittering and amusement. Yeah. Uh, we talked a lot about stuff that is uh, is quaint today. Three, mm-hmm. Just just a mere three years later. I think the idea back then was we were talking about the the question of of recording our whole lives. Well, and we also talked a little bit about broadcasting because we talked a little bit about things like Justin TV and yeah. that sort of stuff. The 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 platforms that were out there that allow people to kind of turn their lives into a reality television show or the equivalent thereof. But uh, back then, which is weird to say for something that was only three years ago. Mm-hmm. Primarily, you did that through a desktop or laptop computer that had a webcam and a microphone, yeah. right? You didn't really have a an easy way to do that in a mobile application uh, for a couple of different reasons. I mean, you had to have the right camera quality, microphone quality. Yeah. You had to have the right uh, – Upload bit rate. Yeah, that was a big one, was waiting for the cellular and Wi-Fi businesses to get to a point where you would have the throughput yeah. to – uh, upload live video, a stream of live video, and also to be able to consume that live video. Uh, but we've gotten to that point now. And I would say that the mobile approach has has really pushed this live experience thing um, much more into the public 
thought than it had been three years ago. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I would also say that if you go with certain models of live casting, because we, we can talk about the different ways uh, the the live casters have approached this. Mm-hmm. If you go th- with the model that was envisioned by, say, the founder of Periscope, the mobile aspect is especially important. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, and so, and in fact, there are certain ones like Periscope where if you aren't on a mobile platform – you have a severe disadvantage mm-hmm. uh, on the service. Like you can watch a Periscope live stream on a desktop computer, but when it comes to things like commenting and that sort of stuff, you need to be on the mobile app in order to have that kind of uh, experience. Yeah. Now, we probably don't need to explain this to you, but just to briefly map the ground on which we stand, it is not a recent thing being able to broadcast video live. This is something that goes way back to, you know, live live news programs. Well, really, it live... goes back to the birth of television. Yeah. Because when TV first started, it was cheaper to to just broadcast than it was to try and store things on a medium. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it made way more sense that television was just this kind of. Uh, uh, ephemeral thing that so, if if you weren't there yeah. to if you weren't there to witness it, you missed it. That here, was, it was, here that kids, was it. here's a very slow and awkward puppet show. Yeah, seriously. Uh, there's a great there's a great sequence of skits on, uh, and I, I talk about this show all the time. But that Mitchell and Webb look, which British sketch show, mm-hmm. where they they do this whole thing where it's the birth of television and. Everyone is incredibly awkward, and they say, it's so early now, we aren't even certain if we should be facing you or in profile. So for the rest of this, I will be facing to my left. And, and he just turns, and <laughs> and then they talk about, we, uh, we, I know that you can hear us, but we don't yet know if we can hear you. So <laughs> if you could shout, I hear you when I say this, that would be very helpful. And then he says, hello, and I hear you. So, oh, I heard that. Oh, wait, that's just the set in the next room. <laughs> and so this whole idea that TV is so new that they don't even know how mm-hmm. to use it yet. Well, um, in a way, we're kind of in that with the live streaming on the Internet, despite the fact that we've been dealing with live broadcast of video for quite some time. Yeah. Uh, but, of course, the, the this goes on into the age where most programs are taped ahead of time. Mm-hmm. You, and even a lot of times you have these semi-live situations, right, where something is sort of live but on a maybe very brief delay. Yeah, seven-second delay is the, the standard you hear bandied about. That's that's there in case something uh, unexpected happens. Right, and someone in case one to... of the newscasters gets a little wild. Right, or uh, or or something like if it's a an anchor who's out there on a live report, if something happens in the frame that they feel is not something that they want to broadcast, they'll interrupt it and come back. That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's a a protective measure. But uh, let's talk about how the the transition over into the digital version of live casting and live streaming. How that's had a big advantage over the traditional media, the the television and radio. Which is, you know, that that set the standard yeah. for live broadcast. But. Well, one one obvious advantage is going to be accessibility. Yeah. You and I do not have the equipment to live broadcast on television because we do not have a television station, a, right. an antenna, and right. all those things we would need. But it turns out that these days, if you have a smartphone, you can broadcast on the Internet. Yeah. Yeah. If you have a, either a computer with that webcam and microphone and an Internet connection or just a smartphone – you can walk around and and uh, carry with you a live broadcast studio. But I must say, even even today, wouldn't it be really cool to have a television broadcast van? Yeah. No, I mean, 
I've seen one parked in front of my house a couple of times. I guess it's just an area where they like to report about across the street from me. There's a um, uh, train yard where uh, often they shoot a lot of I know exactly what films. you're talking about. I walk past that with my dog. Yeah, so that train yard ends up being a movie set, a movie production set, a lot. So I see these, and every time I see one, I think, I'd like I'd like to have one of those, but mm-hmm. but not having one, but having a smartphone that's capable of broadcasting live video is pretty cool, especially since I can reach people I know. And in fact, this is another big advantage that live streaming on digital has over traditional media. Traditional media, like that that sketch uh, I had talked about earlier, yeah. it's one way communication. Yeah, you say, "Can you hear me?" and they actually can say, "Yes, we can hear you," because they can comment on the video as you're broadcasting. Yeah, almost every live streaming app or service out there has some sort of comment or chat uh, component to it. Mm-hmm. So you've got this interactive uh, feature that is absent in traditional media, and that's a very engaging experience when you are, especially if you're a fan of somebody and you're watching them live and then you get a chance to say something to that person and they might react to that that there's a bit of a an a rush that comes along with that and, well, and we've seen that just yeah. as just we're not celebrities by any stretch of the imagination but I've had experiences where I've responded to someone mentioning something online and uh in real time and they freak out which is odd but fun uh, yeah, well, the other thing I would say is that I think the commenting back and forth aspect, yeah. it, uh, it introduces an element of unpredictability mm-hmm. and sort of a wild card variation to what's going to happen live. So imagine somebody here at House Works is doing a live broadcast on uh, something they talked about on their podcast that week. And mm-hmm. then a user says, hey, did you read about this thing that's pertinent to what you're talking about? And the host says, oh, no, I didn't. And, and then there's actual constructive back and forth going mm-hmm. on between a content creator and their audience. Yeah. And they're, they're learning from one another. It, it, it's wonderful. And on the other hand, you've got maybe trolls who want to come in and say, hey, I don't like your face, you know, you're right. whatever. And they both kind of play on the same thing. I mean, obviously, one is good and one is bad, but both introduce this element of unpredictability. There's something real happening right now. Well, yeah, it's it's more akin to live theater than it is to your traditional television show, right? Because you've actually got an audience that can impact the uh, the course of the live yeah. event. Are they going to laugh? Are they going to clap? Are they going to heckle? Right. And, uh, and that's a lot different than if you're just in front of a camera and, you know, there's a crew there that might snicker if you screw up or might. They do. They do every time, <laughs> every darn time. But generally speaking, you don't have that that uh, interaction you could have with a live audience. Hey, which I've got really a, enriches things. I've got another thing. What's that? What do you know? So if you go on TV and you yeah. want to broadcast to people, uh-huh. there are limits on what you're allowed to do without having to pay some hefty fines. Yeah, unless you are on like a special cable network. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you're on regular broadcast television, you have to bow to the whims of the FCC here in the United States. Mm-hmm. And uh, they set down certain rules and, and regulations uh, particularly in regards to obscenity, indecency, and profanity. Right. So you are not allowed to say certain words. I mean, George Carlin had the magnificent comedic uh, routine about the seven words you're not allowed to say on television. You can say them all on Periscope. You you can. And uh, now there's some platforms out there that have 
specific uh, user agreements that say you will not broadcast you know, like uh, sexual material, that kind of stuff, right. on their platforms. They they don't want to turn into a porn hosting right program. And, and if you you know if you're using that service, it means that you had to agree to their terms of use. Which means if you break that, if you go and broadcast something that goes against their terms of use, you could get banned or whatever, or you know sanctioned in some way. Um, and it, it's not the same as the feds coming in after you, but it, it is something that's up to a platform by platform. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's also contingent upon region of broadcast, I suppose. Yes. Right? Uh, China recently got into the news. And by recently, I mean, uh, like the last week when we're recording the, the week before we're recording this. Um, and the news was that they, the Chinese authorities had decided to ban a specific activity being streamed on live video, and that activity would be women eating bananas in a suggestive manner. This is totally well, true. I I support free speech, but that is kind of a weird thing to stream. Yeah, it, well, I agree. It's a weird thing to stream. It's also a weird thing to really hone in on and say you can't do that in China. There are a lot of different regulations that have been passed recently. Um, in regards to this live streaming service, because it's something that's really taking off in China. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Chinese market, of course, is enormous. The smartphone market is huge. Uh, so there's a lot of opportunity there. But they, the Chinese authorities, in their efforts to uh, curtail what they see as being um, offensive or unsuitable material, have gone on to ban not just that, but also things like you aren't allowed to appear uh, on video wearing stockings and suspenders. They say, <laughs> huh. um, yeah, there's okay. a lot of different th- things that are tend that tend to be identified as being sexually suggestive, at least. What? what uh, now, hold on. What if you're wearing a, a Mickey Mouse costume that's got suspenders? What are you going to do now? Well, why are you wearing the stockings? It's stockings and suspenders. Oh, I see. <laughs> I, I, yeah. So, see, there's your problem. Then they say, well, now you've you've made Mickey Mouse wear stockings, and that's where we draw the line. Um, uh, this is not a Mickey Mouse operation, as they would say. Well, apart from regulations being imposed from the outside by, say, uh, government or, or organizations, sure. there are also plenty of technical limitations on what has been possible in the past and to some extent on what is still possible with live casting via digital devices, right? Right. Uh, now, one of the things we mentioned earlier is the bitrate problem. Sure. I would suggest this is probably much more of a problem at the uh, the, the content creator's end than at the consumer's end, yeah, right? Generally speaking, upload speeds are a tenth of what download speeds are, right? Yeah. And, so, and you've got the problem there. You have, if you have one viewer with a bad download speed, it just affects the one viewer. If you have one broadcaster with a bad upload speed, it affects all viewers. Right. So one way to get around that, obviously, is coming up with new compression uh, strategies for video and audio, right? So if you mm-hmm. can come up with new ways to compress that live video so that it can fit in a smaller package, data package, as you send it up, that speeds things up. And then, uh, you know, assuming that uh, your audience has the proper means of, of decompressing that audio and video, which they would because they'd have whatever app is relevant to what you're using, uh, everything's cool because then all the work is being done by the processors for the compression and decompression. But mm-hmm. uh, that that's just part of it, obviously. Another big advantage was when we started seeing uh, uh, 4G and better uh, technologies for transmission for cellular data. Uh, Wi-Fi obviously also has improved in its uh, upload and download speeds. So until that happened, it was not really 
feasible to use devices, particularly mobile devices, to broadcast live video. Uh, you could more easily record a video and then upload it, but obviously that would take a lot of time depending right. on the limitations of whatever technology you were using. And at that point, it's not live casting anymore. Yeah. Now, these days, like, I can use, and I have, I've used uh, a live streaming service. I specifically used Periscope to uh, live cast when I was walking to or from the office just so I could chat with folks because that's a long walk for me. It's like an hour-long walk. And occasionally I'll just... Turn Dang, dude, Periscope. what's your data plan? <laughs> oh, I have unloaded data, so oh, I don't have there to worry you go. about it. Yeah, if I didn't have unloaded – that's another technical issue, right? Data caps. Uh -huh. That really is a, a, a big issue both for – actually, I would have a, a more of a problem at home using my desktop, which has uh, a data cap attached to it because of my home internet service, as opposed to using my phone, which has no data cap attached to it. Hmm. Yeah, it's a little odd. But data caps are another technical. That's not really a technical uh, uh, diff challenge, rather. That's one that's imposed by. It's more kind of like the FCC. Yeah, it's imposed by ISPs, by Internet service providers. But at any rate, um, I I use this Periscope while I'm walking. I'm using it on a cellular network. Uh, but there are sections of my walk where my cellular service starts to get a little. Uh, wishy-washy, and I'm thinking it must be at a point where there's a, a handshake happening. Uh, yeah. Handshake is when it's being passed from one cellular tower to another. And I have often, like there's one specific spot on my walk where people are like, the video has gotten terrible, or I can't hear what you're saying, or you're cutting in and out, and it's always in the same spot. So so that's where you're walking over the ancient cursed graveyard. It's the, yeah, the Indian burial ground. Uh, weirdly enough, it's actually at the bottom of a hill, so probably, like I said, right in between two cell towers where uh, the handoff is happening. The spirit of a bunch of uh, prisoners from this former prison colony. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and there are other technical challenges, too. Like, for example, the fact that if the service you're relying on ends up going down for whatever reason, mm -hmm. then you, you can no longer live cast, right? So if Twitch were to crash for some reason... Or if uh, the servers that handle the traffic for Periscope or uh, Facebook Live or anything like that were to suffer some problems, then that would prevent you from being able to live stream or live cast. Yeah. Um, it may be that all the equipment's working fine on the broadcaster side and on the audience side, but it's the stuff in the middle that's screwed up. So that's a possibility, too. Well, so let's say you've got all that stuff locked down. You say, okay, we, we figured out how to – we've got good hardware. We've got good upload and download rates. We can compress video so that it comes through all right and doesn't use too much data. Uh, but you can still have problems because it, when you have a service yeah. that's supposed to provide live video to people – the service is more than just streaming the data from one place to another, right? It's also stuff like, how do you get the viewers to the place where they're going to watch it and get them watching something that they want to watch? Yeah, there's stuff like discovery. Discovery is a huge challenge. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, and that's going to get harder. In fact, we're going to, we're going to be talking later in this episode about kind of looking forward at uh, live casting. And one of the things I would like to, to think about is, um, in, is live casting just going to become similar to YouTube in that in the early days of YouTube, if you had a voice and you had a really distinctive way of delivering your message, you had a really good chance of being discovered. Yeah. Today, there's so much going up on YouTube. Every, I mean, you know, they, they say like more than 100 hours every minute mm -hmm. goes up on YouTube. 
There's so much stuff going up on YouTube that getting discovered is incredibly challenging. Yeah. I I suspect that live casting is going to turn into the same thing and probably on a much faster ramp up than YouTube did. Well, it's too many content providers, not enough eyeballs. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you it makes me think of some of the live streams I've seen where I've commented on stuff and then I start recognizing the other people who are commenting and I realize we're all content providers commenting on another content provider. Have we just become this insular, circular audience where all we're doing is watching what each other's doing? <laughs> Jonathan, can you even imagine the horror of those of you out there right now who just hear us bandying around words like content provider when really we should be saying artist? Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't. Okay, there's certain words. Performer. I, there's certain words I don't like using, but I do because it's become the standard, right? Yeah. Content provider being one of them. But, that, uh, that is what it's called in the industry. If you make stuff that other people look at on the internet, you're a content provider. Yeah, talent is another one. I don't don't like being called the talent um, for multiple reasons. But at any rate, there are a lot of words in the industry that I would prefer to use uh, uh, synonyms for, but that's kind of the standards. Also, we should just point out that there's a lot of competition already in this space, right? There are a lot of different providers offering up services that are similar to one another. And therein lies another problem because that divides the audience further. You know, not not everyone is going to have every live streaming app. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just not not something that most people are interested in. Yeah. So your audience, you have to sit there and start making decisions like, do I want most of my audience? Do I think most of the people that I need to reach are on this platform or this other platform? And you start having to make really tough decisions on that. Particularly if you want to try and make a living off of this. Not everyone does. If, you, if you're if you just doing it for fun, maybe it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But if you're trying to make a living, you might say, well, what percentage of my fan base is active on Facebook versus Twitter? Just as an example. Or would it be better for me to go to something like Twitch, which is – uh, a more specific uh, live streaming video service. You know, I used to think Twitch was just for video games until I heard that some people use Twitch to say, like, here, watch me show you how to weave a basket. Well, for a while, Twitch was just about video games. And if your content did not have anything to do about video games, they'd say, knock that off or play some <laughs> games. Uh, it wasn't until 2015 that they started opening it up to su- stuff that was because I-, I have a friend who used Twitch to live stream his uh, his podcast. And his podcast occasionally would talk about video games, but it wasn't a video game-oriented podcast. Mm-hmm. And there were issues that he had with Twitch. Uh, it was a very popular show, but Twitch was like, no, it has to be about video games. And then about a year later, that's when they changed their, their policy. But uh, at any rate, you also don't know how many of these conflicting services are still going to be around in years to come, right? Yeah, good point. If if one of them ends up being really dominant in well, the space, the others might end up fading away. Well, I think at the moment we're recording this, there is a large scuffle going on, right? Oh, uh, there's there are multiple scuffles going on. One of the scuffles is pretty well, much I, I just it, mean yes. there's there's major uh, there has been recently, and there is still major competition for live video yes. views. Yeah, I mean you know you've got you've got the major players in there. Facebook is in there. YouTube is in there. Then you've got things like Periscope that that are still in there, and then you have former streaming services like Meerkat, which oh, we'll talk Meerkat. about. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, Never once used it, but it has a cute name. It has a cute name and what, it apparently was a very easy user interface. By the time I uh, – I didn't have access to it because it opened up originally to internet, uh, iPhone users mm-hmm. and I, I use an Android device. 
In fact, Periscope was the same way. It was active first on I- iOS and took a while to get over to Android. Irritates me because Android is a far more popular platform, but that's a different story. It's a different podcast. Um, at any rate, I never got a chance to use Meerkat, and then by the time I really would have taken a look at it, it was no longer supported. Uh, it's still a thing, but we'll get into that. In fact, let's talk about some of these main players, the the big names that are in the live streaming field. Okay, well, you mentioned Twitch, and should we count video game play? Because... Obviously, that is a form of live streaming some type of content. But when I was first thinking about this, the topic for this episode, I was thinking about people sort of talking to a camera. Well, uh, but uh, but I guess it wouldn't have to be that, would it? It doesn't have to be that. And also, you've got a lot of Twitch gamers who have a picture within picture presentation. So right. the major picture is the video game they're playing. And they have a smaller picture, which is a, a camera that's on them, a reaction camera. Mm-hmm. And they do tend to address the audience live while they play. Uh, not everyone does this, obviously. Some people just play through a game and they're just showing how they play. And, and maybe that's all you're doing is just passively watching someone else play a game. But a lot of them turn it into something more where they might be commenting on something completely unrelated to the game they're playing. They might be telling a story or explaining their personal political philosophy. It may be anything. Uh, so I think it certainly counts. The interesting thing to me is that Twitch.tv started off as a spinoff of Justin TV. And it became so popular. Is that, was that a Justin Bieber-based service? No, it was not. Oh, it okay. was uh, named after the founder or one of the founders. So Justin TV was uh was pretty popular as a live streaming service uh, as as far as those go in the early days i mean it was one of those things that uh, wasn't nearly as popular as the stuff we're talking about today but it was uh like justin tv and ustream were like the two big names in live casting but dude i forgot about ustream oh i didn't that's where we used to uh live stream um how stuff works live yeah yeah, we could have upwards of 36 people watching our show at a time. Uh, but it was kept online, so you could actually watch the old episodes afterward. Uh, at any rate, it got so popular that Justin TV actually rebranded itself as uh, Twitch Interactive uh, and eventually ended up getting the attention of some pretty big players in the space. It was rumored that Google was going to buy Twitch Interactive. But it turned out that uh, in 2014, Amazon announced it would acquire Twitch mm. for about $970 million, so just under a billion. That's some amount of dollars. As uh, quite a few dollars, quite a few more than I will ever see in my entire life, uh, which is fine, mostly. But anyway, uh, uh, Twitch has more than a million broadcasters and more than 100 million monthly visitors to the site. So it's a pretty big business. and. You know, I'm sure it's the sort of thing that confounds people in the cable industry. Like, why are why are these kids just logging in to watch some other kids play video games? We want them on our watching our shows and and watching our commercials and buying bugging mom and dad to buy our stuff. Right. Um, but that's it's just been wildly uh, popular. They're professional live casters on Twitch, and the way they make their money is through a multitude of ways. They can get sponsorships. They can get ad revenue. They can have partnerships with Twitch itself. If they are a partner with Twitch, they can then charge subscribers a certain amount of money in order to access uh, uh, new features. For example, it may be that if you're on a Twitch performer's uh, stream and you're, you're in the chat room, you can chat and stuff, but you start seeing like, 
weird uh, emojis and things popping up that you don't have access to. If you become a paid subscriber, you get access to like ah. VIP chat areas and special emoticons, that kind of stuff. What happens behind the closed doors of Twitch? Yeah, uh, it's that exclusivity that ends up being the big selling factor <laughs> there. Uh, and also it may be that the person playing is paying more attention to the subscriber uh, chat at, than the general chat, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, they also can ask for donations as well. It's not just through, uh, through these kind of approaches. But it was interesting. It looked to me like um, I read an article about this. And in the article, the the person who was writing it just made some estimated guesses about how much this one uh, Twitch user was making a year. And we're talking about someone who has 900,000 subscribers and uh, and uh, a lot of different ads and things. And they estimated that based upon those numbers and not taking into account things like donations or other sponsorships, that they were making $216,000 a year playing video wow. games. Now, to be fair, they're also working like 60-hour weeks doing this stuff. So it sounds like, oh, wow, first that sounds amazing. And then you sit there and think, man, that sounds exhausting too. Uh, so it's not it's not necessarily the cushy job that a lot of people just imagine it is. Yeah, but then again, I guess a lot of people work 60 hours a week doing stuff that is... Uh, yeah, maybe not, not as... Uh, not as cushy as playing video games yeah. and all that. Yeah, but you have to be, you have to be good at it too, right? Like, I mean, I guess there's some entertainment value in someone who's, who's perpetually terrible at video games if their presentation is right. Yeah. But uh, that sounds like a kind of gimmick that might not last very long for, for more than just a handful of performers out there. Um, but let's talk about some of the other ones. Let's talk about Periscope. Well, Periscope is one that we're familiar with because a lot of us here at the House Stuff Works office have done Periscope broadcasts where a lot of times, for example, podcast hosts will set up a weekly Periscope session where they will just talk to their listeners. And so I've done that for my uh, the other podcasts that I'm on here, Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My co-hosts, Robert Lamb and Christian Zager, and I will sometimes – Get on uh, Periscope and just talk to people about episodes that have come out recently, what's coming up at next, and answer questions. A lot of times people have questions about stuff that we didn't cover in each of the episodes, and, and so it, it can be a lot of fun. I, I enjoy it. And so the, the presentation of Periscope is pretty straightforward. It's just you have a camera. Mm-hmm. Uh, the camera broadcasts what it sees in real time live. Mm-hmm. So usually it'll just be us sitting around talking to the camera. But you can also use it to broadcast, I don't know, whatever's going on around you. If you wanted to point it out the window at somebody who is scaling the side of the building you're working in with suction cup hands. I don't know why I went to that. that <laughs> I guess that's just something I expect to see someday. Uh, you could periscope that. So it's that, but then also people can comment. Comments come in. You can interact with them if you want to. I would recommend if you are a periscope, uh, uh broadcaster, you probably should interact with the comments because people kind of like to have that interactive experience. They want to hear back from you. Right. Otherwise um, they start suspecting that, hey, this is just, this isn't live. Yeah. Which is weird for periscope, but I get yeah. that all the time on Facebook live. They get mad if you yeah. don't interact. Yeah. Uh, and so, and that's pretty much what it is. Uh, so Periscope was founded by Kayvon Bakepour and Joe Bernstein. Uh, and according to the official creation legend, uh, Bakepour was traveling in Istanbul in 2013 when a bunch of protests broke, broke out in, uh, Taksim Square in Istanbul. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't at the location of the protest, but he wanted to know what was going on. And so he could check Twitter 
to see what people were saying about the event, but he couldn't see the event for himself. And uh, talking to Business Insider, he said, quote, it just occurred to me there were so many smartphones out there. Why wasn't there a way for me to ask who else was out there and what was happening there? Um, and so in uh, the early press, Periscope was often compared to teleportation. Yeah. I, I find that kind of a funny metaphor because really it, the obvious point of comparison to me is just like having a, a live video camera there. Yeah. I, I don't I, really see the teleportation aspect, but I think, I think it would depend on, I think it's the fact that live video, uh, it, it's tough to get live video of, Brand new yeah. breaking events, unless it was something that was scheduled, right? Like it's, you know, the idea of being someplace when you know something's going to happen, as opposed to the fact that since we all have smartphones these days, and I know that I'm making a crazy generalization to say all, but since there's so many smartphones out there that are capable of broadcasting, mm-hmm. now it would be unusual for a public event to occur where there are no smartphones capable of broadcasting that right. stuff. So it is more like teleportation because unlike you're seeing, you know, a live video of an of the aftermath of an event, you can actually see live video of lots of events because the cameras are already everywhere. Well, and I think that's another way that the interaction is very important. Mm-hmm. It's a very important element of Periscope where uh, it's more like teleportation in that you can't just watch what's happening. You can comment on it and you can try to get the person who's holding the phone to do something. You say like, hey, can you hold it up higher? I want to see what's going right. on here. And look around the corner, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, and so the, that that went on for a while. Twitter bought Periscope in January 2015 for what, what was the number you saw on that? I saw around a hundred million, but there were a lot of guesses all over yeah, the place. Yeah, uh, it's it, it really. First of all, they keep it pretty quiet, but right. uh, secondly, because Periscope still wasn't really a thing when Twitter bought them, like it hadn't really right. made a big splash. Um, it was what the what happened in the aftermath of Twitter buying Periscope made more news than the fact Twitter bought Periscope. Right. Uh, yeah. And so in August 2015, Periscope claimed it had 10 million users. More on that number in a bit. Yeah. And also uh, the other thing I thought was really fun about Periscope, and I'm glad that they fixed it so it no longer becomes like a uh, a means of, of one-upsmanship between uh, – between various periscopers is that if you like what you're watching, you can tap your screen and it sends little hearts that mm-hmm. show up in the video. Oh, it's so nice seeing all those little hearts float in. It is very sweet. It's very uh, reaffirming. Uh, and for a while, Periscope took uh, count of all those hearts, which uh, ended up becoming like almost like bragging rights for various um, uh periscopers out there like it was this idea that by having this most liked video it's gonna jump up the the charts and be easily discovered right i know jonathan tell the truth it just steamed your biscuits that you didn't get the most hearts it's not so much that but rather that the system was easily gamed yeah like it was very easy to just watch your own thing and just keep hitting hearts 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 hearts. Well, which and you count can, afterwards you could just tell your viewers like hey hammer on those hearts for us yeah. we've done it before it's funny yeah and then so they'll uh, do it they're then, they're like little automata they just obey the commands <laughs> right well and on the flip side so are we because they ask us to do things and occasionally we do them to prove that it's live and then it all just turns out that we're the ones being puppeteered exactly but, but at any rate the uh that no longer holds that much water like it's not it's not something that uh really boosts a video's performance in any meaningful way it's just a nice 
feedback mechanism. Mm -hmm. So it's not like it has any meaningful impact at this point. The other service we wanted to talk about that was very similar to Periscope would be Meerkat. Uh, Meerkat and Periscope, when they first came out, they were very, very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, Meerkat was released in February 2015, just ahead of South by Southwest 2015. And it, it was very much a favorite at that conference, at that, Yeah, it? Yeah, and it, this is something we see all the time where we'll see apps get launched either just before or at South by Southwest in an, an attempt to generate a lot of buzz because that's where you've got a ton of people, South by Southwest Interactive, as a lot of folks who are influential in the tech space. And if you can get a lot of people using your app, generally speaking, it tends to turn out pretty well for you. And uh, it got a lot of widespread attention at South by Southwest, but it also relied on Twitter to allow livecasters a chance to reach an audience. It tapped into Twitter's social graph, in other words. Mm-hmm. And then Twitter, in March 2015, cut off Meerkat's ability to use the Twitter login. Wait a minute. Was that people. after Twitter bought Periscope? Yeah, by a couple of months. Yeah. Hmm. So when Periscope came out uh, using Twitter's API, uh, Meerkat mysteriously no longer had access to it. And that ended up causing a lot of conversation in the space about how uh, Twitter was allowed to do this because they're a private company and they bought this other tool. And they said, look, our policy says that if you try and replicate something that we have, we can kick you off. And we bought this company back in January, and you launched your service in February. (laughs) And so uh, it it was kind of a little ugly, but um, Meerkat soldiered on for about a year. Uh, In August of 2015, it was already clear that the service was on the downward slope. And by March 2016, CEO uh, Ben Rubin made the decision to change the company's focus to an always live social network. I don't know what that really means yet. I don't either. Yeah, because as far as I know, Meerkat hasn't actually launched anything new. But they did say they were essentially pulling all their resources off of live video. Not that the tool is gone, but there's no more development in that space for Meerkat. They said, no, it's that's a lost cause for us. Um, and so it doesn't look great for live video from Meerkat anymore. Well, yeah, and I, I found an article on Recode that had a part of an email from the Meerkat CEO, Ben Rubin, to mm-hmm. investors from February 2016. I thought this was interesting. So he was kind of trying to explain what had gone on with the bad year. And in what, what he said was, quote, mobile broadcast video hasn't quite exploded as quickly as we'd hoped. The distribution advantages of Twitter Periscope and Facebook Live drew more early users to them away from us, and we were not able to grow as quickly alongside as we had planned. So that's talking about one thing there is just like who has access to people using the Internet right now? Right. Who can steer them, you know, sort of funnel them in the live broadcast direction that uh, that they want? Mm-hmm. And then also, I thought that was interesting that he said that broadcast video hasn't quite exploded as quickly as we'd hoped because, I mean, if you read everything else, it's like, oh, man, this is the wave of the future. Everybody's got to get on live broadcast. Well, again, I mean, uh, is him, is that just him spinning it the, you know, the way that makes his company look better or? I think it's I think it's more, again, back to that problem of so many different competitors in the space that it fractures the uh, audience. Right. Mm-hmm. The market share gets divvied up. So some people may be like, listen, I don't use Facebook. I just use Twitter. So I want you to be on Periscope. I've got some people who have said that to me mm-hmm. when I do I, like I'll, I'll 
put out a blast on Twitter saying, hey, I'm going live on Facebook Live at 3 o'clock. So you can tune in at How Stuff Works' Facebook page and watch me. And I I often will get messages saying, hey, I don't use Facebook anymore. Could you – have you ever thought about going back to Periscope? And uh, just a little peek behind the curtain, the reason why I tend to use Facebook Live more than Periscope is that at least based upon the metrics, more people watch. <laughs> so Though those metrics are – also kind of interesting. Yeah, we'll talk, we'll, about, we'll that. talk about that in a bit. And it may very well be that there's a particular thing Facebook does that is uh, misleading me into thinking that. But uh, at any rate, um, you know, Meerkat now looks like it's heading more toward using a, or developing a tool that's kind of similar to like Skype or Google Hangouts, something that's meant for a video messaging service that would be more like a closed group as opposed to one person broadcasting to a lot of people. Huh. So it could be like if we wanted to do a little video chat among the writers one day, that might be a tool we would use. I don't really know why they would go into that space, seeing as how it's already represented by some pretty hefty uh, companies like Skype and Google. Uh, but that's that's at least some of the uh, speculation around this. Uh, we got other examples. Uh, there's Snapchat, although that's really almost live. It's not really a live video streaming service. You can uh, record very short video snippets and people can then watch them. The big uh, attraction to Snapchat is that it only lives on the servers for 24 hours. Uh, uh, supposedly. Yeah. At least it's only accessible by by viewers for 24 hours. But there are, I of have, course... I have vague memories of us having talked about this on the show before yeah. and there being some big asterisk to that. Yeah, it's... Though I um, don't recall with enough detail to say now. There, there, are, some, there are some definite uh, questionable things going on. Not questionable in the sense of the content may still very well live on a server. You can actually save stuff to your snaps, too. You can save your own snaps. Yeah. Uh, also, there are a lot of tools out there for people to save stuff... Uh, uh, that they see on Snapchat, like little add-ons that weren't intended originally by the service but have obviously popped up. So uh, that's only kind of semi-live. But then we get to the the big one we were talking about before, Facebook Live. Right. This one was a relative latecomer, uh, launched in August of 2015. Yeah. And it was a controlled launch. Like it wasn't rolled out to Facebook users at large. It was rolled out to specific movers and shakers in the entertainment industry, for example, who already had really large followings in order to kind of um, uh, boost this idea early in the stage of uh, of launch, right? So um, some big pages that had lots of followers or entertainers' personalities that had a lot of followers, they were the ones who got access to this tool first um, and eventually expanded to all Apple mobile users in January of 2016 and then everybody else by February. So uh, it was a controlled rollout which makes sense. You can actually see how it's performing and start making tweaks before you give everyone access to it. Um, and if you haven't noticed, Facebook wants you to be watching Facebook yeah. Live. Uh, you really should be watching it. Yeah, there have been a lot of high-profile live events that have used Facebook Live, uh, which are all in partnership with Facebook. It's not just that they coincidentally decided to use Facebook Live. Yeah. These are very uh, obviously partnerships, and there's nothing wrong with that necessarily, um, especially if it's transparent. But it's also interesting that um, apparently the notifications on Facebook Live events have recently changed. Uh, it used to be that if every time we would go live on How Stuff Works, 
everyone who followed House of Forks would get a little notification on that, and people would go and respond to it. They'd like, what's this? And they'd see a video. And some of them would get irritated because they'd yeah. get this notification. Uh, you could turn those off. I think now uh, – I did a House of Forks live podcast or broadcast last week. And uh, and Sherry, who is uh, the person who kind of oversees that at our, our office, came in and said, yeah, uh, we're seeing fewer numbers or lower numbers now. But we think that might be because Facebook might be tweaking the notification system so that it's not blasting everybody the way it had been. Mm-hmm. But perhaps they were getting some negative feedback on that. So it's still in flux. Um, now, uh, according to their chief product officer, Chris Cox, Facebook has more than 100 people working on Facebook Live. And part of what they're working on are some updates that will soon be rolling out and may very well, some of them may be in place by the time you listen to this podcast. Mm -hmm. Uh, They were announced back on April 16th, um, and we're recording in early May. So one of those features is the ability to to filter your live streams to only certain people on your friends list. Uh, So that way you could broadcast straight to the people that you want to talk to and and it doesn't go out to everybody else. Right. Uh, that could be useful if you're doing something like doing a, uh, just a quick update to folks or you need to pass on some important news to your friends, that kind of stuff. Um, or just, you know, you just want to show off to the jerks in accounting. I don't know. There's a lot of different uh, possible uh, opportunities there, I guess. Um, or if you're just doing your own unboxing video. Yeah. You know, a nice serial unboxing video. Right. Like, That's my idea. I've been thinking we should do is serial unboxing. Like we're going to we're gonna do some statistical analysis oh. with my Lucky Charms. Oh, it's full of tricks. Wow. What, what's the percentage that a green clover will come out next? Um, they're also including some other filters that were present on Snapchat as well. The ability to... Apply visual filters uh, to live video and scribble on the screen while you're broadcasting, uh, which is not, again, that different from what we've seen with Snapchat, where they have all these different filters and overlays. Oh, Some... you can do that on Periscope now. You can draw on the screen. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. The the, the Snapchat one has some problematic filters, ones that I think they really need to rethink before implementing again. For example, they have like they have like the the face swapping stuff, which is fine, where you can swap your face with some other face, mm-hmm. and then they the they'll actually animate the face with your facial motions, which is kind of creepy and interesting. But they've also done one like they had one that was a Bob Marley filter, which put Bob Marley's face onto the Snapchat user's face, and some people said, this is getting uncomfortably close to blackface. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so there's some things that that people have said, like, maybe we need to, maybe someone needs to rethink that. That actually made a big fuss on on Twitter, as a matter of fact, when that went live. Um, That was on April 20th, by the way, when that, 420, when that happened. So um, uh, anyway, uh, they're also going to give the broadcaster emoji reactions that could pop up on screen. Um, and a dedicated app tab just for video and a world map that will let you find broadcasts happening around the globe. So you can uh, actually search for live broadcasts more easily that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so so what, I guess the question is, why did Facebook want to get into this live broadcasting game when you've already got these players out there like uh, – like Twitch and Periscope and, you know, all, all these other ones we've already talked about. Why is it that Facebook says now we've got to be the ones? Well, Facebook, Facebook's a, a publicly traded company, mm-hmm. right? 
And, and they want to own the world. They want to own the world. Uh, you could only grow so much when one in seven people on the planet has a Facebook account, right? Yeah. So it, one of the things they have to do is find new ways to engage users to make sure that they stay loyal to Facebook. They don't go anywhere. They don't give yeah. up on the platform. Look at Facebook all day. And by creating this Facebook Live platform, they give more reason for people to go to Facebook. They give more reason for people to create stuff on Facebook, where it lives on Facebook. It's not a link that you've dumped into Facebook. Yeah. It lives there. Yeah. And uh, you've w- seen other versions of this with things like Facebook articles, where yeah. now instead of uh, sharing an article to link out to an external site to read something about the news, you can just click through to a Facebook news page that has an article embedded. Same thing with Facebook video. Yeah. Right? Instead of embedding a link to like a YouTube video, you can upload directly into Facebook and have it live there. Clearly, that benefits Facebook, yeah. right? I mean, and it's the same sort of thing. It benefits the company, and it creates more uh, more you, Facebook in your Facebook, so you right. can Facebook all the time, right? And, and, and you know, you could be cynical and just say like this is just a way to to leverage the users and make more money. And to some extent, that is absolutely true. But it also creates more uh, more features that users can actually use and enjoy and get some benefit out of. So uh-huh. there's, it's not like it's just corporate evil. Well, no, I mean, they're trying to make money. I guess it depends on, do you, do you want to say that in a harsh tone of voice or not? Yeah. <laughs> I don't have a problem with companies trying to make money. That's the purpose for companies to exist. Yeah. Uh, the problem, of course, is that if they do so without any checks or balances, because companies also by nature are amoral. Uh, <laughs> the, the, despite the fact that in the United States we can talk about corporations as if they are people, they do not have any moral or ethical core to themselves. It's all about the people who steer the company, right? Oh, I don't know. Maybe Wayne Enterprises, you know. Yeah, Stark Industries. Uh, so um, at any rate, the, uh, the those are the big players. There are a lot of other ones that are in the space too. There are tons of apps and online services, uh, like Google Hangouts being another one that we mentioned earlier. You can do a Google Hangout and broadcast to the public and it houses that broadcast on YouTube where you can watch live and it will stay there. It can you can be able to watch it afterward too. Yeah. Uh so so we've got this trend now and we've yeah. got all these people competing to be the biggest players uh in the live live casting business. That you know, some people out there working in the tech industry have it in their heads that the next big thing is everybody watching other people do stuff live on the internet. Yeah. Is that true? Uh, so one of the things we can look at is how popular is this right now? Mm-hmm. So there are some numbers I was looking at for Periscope. Periscope, of course, is is Periscope. It's not the entire profile of uh, what people are doing in terms of live video on the Internet, but sure. it's one of the big names. So as I said earlier, in August 2015, Periscope claimed it had 10 million users, which, oh, yeah, that's that's not bad. Uh, but what that meant was that 10 million people had registered accounts. Mm-hmm. It was about 2 million people who used the app every day at that time. Mm-hmm. Also, at the same time, users were watching a combined 41 years worth of video every single day. According to an article I found on Recode from March 28th, 2016, that number has gone up. And now Periscope users are supposedly watching 110 years worth of video every single day. Isn't it great, these metrics we have? Yeah. Yeah, because you sit there and like, how is that possible? I'm like, well, matters of scale, right? right? You know, you just look at the number of people, and then you say, well, how much, how much time is the average person viewing 
multiply that by the number of people who mm-hmm. are on average using Periscope on a day. That's where you get that number. Right. Um, it's interesting. Uh, and uh, there are other metrics we can talk about. Like we mentioned the Twitch one, right? The yeah. one, the more than a million uh, Twitch broadcasters and there are a hundred million monthly visitors. And that was, I think, back in 2015 too. So those numbers have changed obviously since then. Right. Um, but the, what about Facebook? Yeah, well, they they don't really share their numbers, as far as I could tell. I dug around and could not find anything, uh, so I imagine they're they're keeping that protected. I, I maybe we'll hear more when they do like a a shareholders meeting. They might have some some statistics that they'll share, but at the moment we're we're right. largely in the dark. But w- we do know they reportedly have something like 1.5 billion users around yeah. the world. Yeah. Uh, and from our experience, every time somebody goes live, Facebook tries to show that video to every one of those viewers. Yeah, that that seems I mean, to be not the really, case. Yeah, but, I, I but, think I think they like I said, I think they've scaled back on that <laughs> in the in the relatively recent past, but there was definitely it still happens every time we do a live video. Yeah, there's aggressive in-app promotion. They're trying to get people watching this stuff. Right, and and you will get comments like, "What is this? Uh huh. Who are you? Why am I seeing this? Yeah, and we're like, I, you know, we're just trying to broadcast I'm sorry. to our yeah, followers. Please we're not, go about your business. Yeah, <laughs> you can. You don't have to watch this. <laughs> Please, please don't be mad at me. I didn't make the algorithm. Uh, yeah, so they obviously have a strong desire to put users' eyes on live streaming video. And I can speak from personal experience and say that when you broadcast live on Facebook, uh, I feel like the number of views you reportedly get do not seem exactly to match up with the number of viewers actively engaging through comments and liking and stuff. Now, you'd expect all the people engaging through comments and liking to to be some small subset right. of the total number of viewers. So I'm not thinking that every viewer would be interacting but it seems like it's actually a very small subset compared to the number they're saying watched your live video. And so I'm wondering how they quantify what counts as a viewer of a live video for a Facebook video. Well, I can tell you that. In yeah. fact, I'll tell you that right now because I, I have this later on in our notes, but it, it's pertinent to this conversation. Uh, it takes three seconds of viewing the video before Facebook counts it as a viewer. Yeah. So if you have a video playing for three seconds or longer than you are a viewer of that video, here's the other part of that. You may have noticed that when you pull up Facebook, videos will start to autoplay, not necessarily with sound, but they'll mm-hmm. start automatically playing. And if it autoplays for th- if you're on that screen for three seconds, congratulations, you've just become a Facebook viewer. So the viewer numbers can be high because it could just be that people were scrolling through their Facebook, they came across the video, it started to autoplay, and before they scrolled off of that screen, three seconds had passed. And then you have this rather inflated number of of viewers for your content. And uh, it looks great. You start feeling really proud about yourself. Well, right. They they end up coming up with these numbers that make some media providers on the Internet just kind of salivate over this. Oh, how'd they get that many million views on right. their live broadcast? Like the, uh, the big one being the um, BuzzFeed broadcast of the watermelon and the rubber bands. 
Are you familiar with this? Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. I didn't watch it, but I know I saw people talking about how many views it got. Yeah, it was like a but, 47 I mean, minute long video or something like but that. But I also saw a breakdown afterwards that said, you know, this does not mean all these people watched the whole video. Yeah. Most of them watched a few seconds of it. Right. It may have been that at its peak, I think there was like more than 800,000, I think, at its peak. More than 800,000 people were watching it. Uh, but, uh, simultaneously. But then when you factor in this, these different, uh, components, the idea that it's pre-rolling as soon as you go by and that kind of stuff, it could give a very false positive of how many people were engaged watching your material. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it, it's problematic with, and this is not just, we don't mean to just signal out Facebook. Uh, the, this is something that, is a, a largely unanswered question in live video on the internet in general. Well, I mean, it brings it brings to mind the main question for me, which is: Is personal live video streaming here to stay as like a new major thing on uh, on what data is going to be flying back and forth on the on the web going into the future, or is the current popularity more of a uh, an inorganic industry fad that the platforms are trying to push this and people are sort of consuming it somewhat, but it, it's not going to stay at this level forever well, or th- it's not going to get much bigger? I think I think there are certain audiences that love the live video and they will continue to love the live video. Whether that audience is broad enough for it to support the massive amount of investment we have seen from major companies and startups alike, that's another question. Um, it's one that I'm a little skeptical about. I think there have been some people who have said that uh, it may very well be that this ends up being a, a, a very popular but transitory kind of fad. Like yeah. it, it's something where after after it has lived out its initial – burst onto the scene and we may be getting close to it. I mean, mm-hmm. we're a year in with the mobile stuff um, that it, it'll it kind of fade into something more like, yeah, it's like Twitter. Everyone knows about Twitter. A lot of people use Twitter, but it's it's not something people are necessarily buzzing about anymore. Yeah. Well, I mean, I certainly think that now that we're mostly past the hardware problems, you know, now that we, we you can broadcast without real bandwidth issues and stuff like that, there are always going to be some people doing this. But uh, I, the question for me is just how popular is it going to be? Mm-hmm. Do people really want to keep watching the standard kind of video where somebody's just say, hey, here's my day. I'm talking into my phone for all my peeps out there who enjoy watching me talk into my phone. There's a lot of that going on. And I can also still see the uh, the continuing appeal for what the founder of Periscope was actually talking about, meaning sort of, I don't know what you'd call it, citizen journalism, people who are in a place where something interesting is going on and mm. – Thus, it's more situational that they're broadcasting rather than that they are a standard content provider through right. these services. So it's more more of a, of an event-based thing and not a personality-based thing in that case. Yeah. I mean, the personality-based stuff clearly has a place as well simply because of that interactive factor, mm-hmm. right? If you are giving an audience the chance to interact with someone they admire for whatever reason, mm-hmm. uh, someone they find entertaining or informative or whatever – then that's a very powerful experience, much more so that I would argue than watching a static video. I mean, 
static video is probably the wrong term, but uh, a pre-recorded video where, you know, y- yes, you can watch a horror movie and say, don't go in there, but you know that they can't hear you. But if you're doing a live video, like I think a live video walk through a haunted house where someone's yelling, don't go in there. And like, you know what? That's a great idea. I'm going to turn around and go the other but way. You know, That'd they'd ruin it. Yeah. Imagine if you could interact with the horror movie, you'd ruin it. You'd say, don't go in there. They'd say, OK. And then they'd leave and then it would be boring. No, no, no. You you always you always <laughs> have to have a backup zombie in the yard. You know, you got to oh, have okay. you got to have you got to have your backup monster so that uh, no matter what, you're going to encounter a, a dangerous situation. But. But no, that interactivity does, I think, add a lot of value to this experience. And uh, if they, if the various providers out there continue to find interesting ways to boost interactivity, I think we could see this sticking around for a good long while. It may be that we have um, another period, like I said, uh, uh, kind of like YouTube, where we see a huge rush of of broadcasters out there. Mm-hmm. And it may shake out where there are a handful, you know, maybe a hundred really well-known broadcasters, and then there's everyone else, and discovery becomes incredibly challenging. I think that's going to be the, like we said at the top of the show, I think that's going to be the biggest hurdle for live casting. But I think live casting is definitely here to stay, and especially as we get even more sophisticated um, streaming opportunities. It's going to be built into everything, just like... Cameras were built into lots of stuff, just like, you know, voice activation has been built into a lot of stuff. We're going to see more and more of these uh, being incorporated directly into products. Like like the fact when, when uh, the PlayStation 4 came out and there's a button on the controller for you to start broadcasting on Twitch, that's a huge message that live casting is definitely a big deal. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I expect that we're going to see more of this, at least in the near future. Um, it'll be really interesting if it continues to be largely unregulated. Right. You know, that's the other question is, will there come a point where the government uh, of the United States decides to step in and pass some regulations? Oh, I can't wait. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) it's already happening in other parts of the world. So the question is, will it happen in the U.S. and, and, you know, in Europe and that kind of thing? Uh, And there are a lot of different things to consider, like – when I do my walk where I'm periscoping as I walk around, I try very hard to not show off too much of the neighborhoods I'm in out of the con- concern for the privacy of the people who live there. Oh, yeah. But that's me trying to be thoughtful. There's nothing to guard against that. If I were right. to – if I wanted to, I could just walk up to a house, periscope live there and say – Periscope in their windows. Right. The jerk, the jerk who lives here, their dog poops on my yard. So here's their address, everybody. I mean, I could do that and that yeah. would be really crappy of me. Order so many pizzas for them. Yeah. That would be – that's the – nice way of of of, of uh, harassing that person. But yeah. That's, In the innocent days before swatting. Yes. Uh, so I'm hopeful that uh, that largely the communities will be self-regulating and self-policing because uh, otherwise you're going to have to have government agencies come into this and start to make rules and that's going to make the whole thing uh, harder to access. Um, and and that, that would be a shame. But at the same time, I definitely would be concerned about the privacy and safety of people who had not consented to be in a live video and they're not in a public space. Um, if they're in a public space, that's one thing. But if they're in like in their own yard, <laughs> that's something else entirely. At any rate, uh, this is an interesting conversation and obviously it's still developing. We're really going to have to 
uh, pay attention and see if we end up going down a um a pathway where everyone is having this awesome communication and we have more access than ever to all these amazing events some some awesome and some awful around the world or if it'll turn into like a black mirror situation and we'll all be regretting the fact that we ever developed the transistor in the first place um I'm curious about it. And I want to know what you guys think too. Like what what are your views on this whole live casting thing? Are you uh are you a fan? Do you create stuff? Do you watch stuff? Do you watch our stuff? If you don't, you should. Uh and let us know. Send us a message. Our email address is fwthinking at howstuffworks.com or you can drop us a line on Twitter or Facebook. At Twitter we are fwthinking. And on Facebook, you can just search FW Thinking and that little search bar will pop right up and you can leave us a message. And we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, kids' playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe Ventilation System exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe Ventilation System. You can get it installed, or DIY kits are available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com and receive 20% off today hey guys you know what this playground could use a wine country huh a redwood forest would be cool ski slopes wait did we just invent california discover why california is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com hey there parents and teachers are you tired of feeling like every day is a battle of wills with your kids let me tell you about something that changed the game love and logic Love & Logic isn't just another parenting or teaching strategy. It's a mindset shift that empowers you to raise responsible, respectful kids while keeping your sanity intact. With Love & Logic, you'll learn practical techniques to set limits with empathy, give your kids the tools they need to make smart choices, and build relationships based on mutual respect and understanding. Love & Logic stands behind their methods with a one-year money-back guarantee. Try it out risk-free. If it doesn't change your life, we'll buy it back. 
Plus, you can get 10% off with code IHEART10. So if you're ready to say goodbye to power struggles and hello to peaceful, loving relationships with your kids, it's time to give love and logic a try. Visit their website or call today. Your sanity will thank you. Love and Logic, because parenting and teaching should be a joy, not a chore. Visit loveandlogic.com.